The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C., Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast. I am here with a man about town. I am here (laughs) with an explorer, revolutionary. I am here with the guy who has been to the places that you haven't. I'm here with my co-host, Mr. Jason Colvin. How are you doing, man? I'm doing well, D. How are you doing, man? I'm doing great. So, Jason, uh, was it yesterday? It was yesterday. It was yesterday. Jason is calling me to go, hey, I'm in this place that's got a sign on the wall that says (laughs) Rumblefish. Fish happened here. Do you remember this scene? Yeah. And yeah. I was like, uh, can you FaceTime me? And so we FaceTimed and I'm looking and I'm like, oh yeah, that's where he gets mugged. And you're like, what happened now? And I'm like, you know, he gets hit in the head with a crowbar. And you're like, I'm sorry, I don't remember that part. I'm like, okay, you'll get this. It's where Bob from Batman shows up. And you're like, oh yeah, that's it. That's right. And Bob, my number one guy. <laughs> So you just got to know how to speak the language. That's 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 the key here, right? That's right. So yesterday I spent about five or six hours roaming the area around Tulsa, Oklahoma, and I went to as many sites as I could for the Outsiders and Rumblefish, and I had a unbelievable time doing it. Met some great people that I want to throw a shout out to. Okay. So I went into a shop in Sepulpa, Oklahoma. And Sepulpa is where they shot a lot of the scenes from Rumblefish. So I go into a shop and I ask an older gentleman, I'm like, hey man, I I know this is a weird question and I'm walking in out of the blue, but do you know anything about Rumblefish? And the guy like got this look on his face like, finally someone, right? (laughs) Right, okay. He says, listen, I'm not from here. I don't really know, but I know who does. And he leaves, he takes me out of his storefront. This is like a little knickknack shop. He walks me down like three or four doors down, leaves his shop completely wide open. Wasn't this a character in like Phantom Menace or something? That's a bulba. Sorry. Yeah, go. I'm sorry. Sepulpa. Sepulpa. Yes. Gotcha. Okay, I'm with you now. Go ahead. <laughs> and so he walks me down, and I meet a guy uh-huh. named Micah. His name is Micah Cholette, and he writes for the local Sepulpa newspaper, the Sepulpa Times. This guy says, hey, Micah, here's a guy here who wants to know about Rumblefish. And his eyes light up, and Micah is like, 
oh, great. I know everything there is to know about Rumblefish. Yeah. Let me take you around and show you all these locations. Oh, my gosh. It's right? fantastic. So I see the outside of Rusty James' apartment. Yeah. And the infamous fire escape, which has been torn down now, but they yeah. uh, they salvaged it. Danny Boyle O'Connor's going to do something with it later. Wait, who? Danny Boy O'Connor. This is, I feel like this is going somewhere. Keep going with your story. Well, stay with me. Okay. He takes me down to the courthouse, the Sepulpa Courthouse, and apparently they shot scenes from the outsiders where Pony Boy was like on trial. Yeah. And whether that the fountain incident was self defense or not. Right. Not in the theatrical release. Didn't make it. Came out in 2005 in the re edit. Yes. He takes me also to the... There's a place in Rumblefish where the boys kind of get in the wrong area of town. He takes me to that place. Yeah. And so we go in there. He's talking to a guy who works there. Had no idea that a movie was filmed there. (laughs) And then he takes me like... I go through the locked door like over a stack of junk, you know, up the hallway, this back staircase. He opens the door and he takes me to Rusty James' apartment on the third floor of this building that's been gutted. And I was, he's like, see that wallpaper right there? You can see that in the movie. There's where Dennis Hopper was. There's where Mickey Rourke was. Oh my There's gosh. where Matt Dillon was. And I was just in movie geek heaven. So you were a kid in a candy store. I was. I mean, for our listeners who don't know, Jason is the location guy. Like he loved, like one of our very first episodes, he loved talking about how he was at the place that you see at the beginning of Raiders of the Lost Ark. He swung on the rope. Out I did. Of- I did. I swung on the rope out into the river, just like Indiana Jones. And so yesterday, he got to go see Sepulpa, where a lot of Rumblefish was filmed. But also, you mentioned Danny Boy O'Connor, and you were also in Tulsa proper, seeing scenes and locations for The Outsiders. That's right. That's right. So Danny Boy O'Connor, for those of you who don't know, he is one of the hip-hop artists who... Hold on, hold on. Before you jump into this, the guys, I walked in and my son, Caleb, is talking to Jason. And I, I, as I walk in, I hear Caleb going, who? And you're like, listen. And you start playing Jump Around. And Caleb's like, you're going to talk to that guy? Yeah, yes. Yeah. So for our listeners who don't know, Danny Boy O'Connor is one of the members of House of Pain, who has changed vocations. I mean, he's still doing he's still doing rapping and music and all of that, but he has an entire story that we are going to go over with him on our next episode. So be sure and hit the follow button, be sure and hit the subscribe button because he has a incredible story about the origin and creation of the Outsiders Museum. It's more than that because this is the intersectionality of 90s hip hop mm-hmm. and 80s movies yeah. that will blow your socks off. Yeah. So fingers crossed we're going to have an interview with him next episode. Next episode. Hey, by the way, real quick before I leave this, yeah. If anybody is in Tulsa, Oklahoma and is interested in these things, mm-hmm. almost all of these landmarks are within a few miles of themselves. So Crutchfield Park, the Curtis Brothers house, Johnny Cade's house, the movie theater, all of it is within a few miles. It's really easy to do. Fantastic. So we've kind of just dived in here, but here's our introduction. We are talking about The Outsiders versus 
Rumblefish. Both of them, Francis Ford Coppola movies, both of them came out in 1983, which means they are celebrating their 40th anniversary. In March, Outsiders will hit its 40th sometime in the fall. Rumblefish will hit its 40th anniversary, and they are both also S.E. Hinton novels. And so this is like the perfect matchup, and both filmed in the Tulsa area. That's right. Which both Jason and I have lived there. Jason grew up there. I lived there for a couple of years when I first moved to Oklahoma. So we're both very familiar with the area that these movies were filmed in. And Jason can tell you, since he was there yesterday, that a lot of these places look exactly the same as they did 40 years ago. It's stunning. It's stunning. I went to the drive-in, like the Admiral Twin Drive-In Theater, and I could literally, I'm like, there, there it is, right there. Right on the other side of the fence. Fantastic. Beach party movie. (laughs) (laughs) That's fantastic. Okay, so let's let's talk origin of these stories. okay? Okay, very good. Okay, so the stories both start off with books, and they have an author that has one of the most unique stories you've ever heard. Jason, hit me. All right, so Susan Eloise Hinton. Susie. Susie. Yeah. Or, you know. S.E., as you may be familiar with her. She was 15 years old, writing this story. Right. While she's making a D-plus in creative writing and failing (laughs) English class. Yeah. So, if you have a student, if you have a child who is doing dismally bad in their English class, there's still hope. That, to me, is mind-blowing. What teacher would give grades like this? Anyway, so she's at Will Rogers High School, which, incidentally, is where Pony Boy goes to high school in The Outsiders. She starts chipping away at this story, and it's about rival gangs in her school. Yeah. In Tulsa, for whatever reason, the north side is kind of the bad side of town. Yeah. And the the further you get south, the more money there is. And so there was a fight between the greasers, the rough guys, and then the south side socials. Yeah. Right? The socias. Right. It's soch, not socks. <laughs> when my son first read this novel, I told you this yesterday. Yeah. I was asking him, okay, well, how's it going? You know, and he's a fifth grader or whatever, and he's telling me, he's like, yeah. So anyway, the, the greasers and the socks are getting ready to rumble. Yeah. And I'm like, uh, it's not socks. Yeah. And again, this one, if your kids are mispronouncing words, it means they learned them by reading. Don't be too hard on them. That's right. right. I can remember when my daughter was like, hey, you know, we should get one of those yatchets. And we're like, "Uh, what? Yeah, you know, the the yatchet. And we're like, what is a yatchet? She's like, you know, the big boat that like rich people have. The the yatchet. Like the yacht? The yacht. There you go. Is that how you say that word? (laughs) Yes, it is. So. Please, everybody, don't give up on your children yet. There's That's still right. help. That's right. So, so she's 15 years old. She's failing, cre- or nearly failing, yes. uh, creative writing. And she's writing her own personal story about this story that she's heard about, the Soshas and the Greasers. That's right. So she's 15, uh, starts to really kind of get into it as she's 16, yeah. as a junior in high school. Manages to get it published by the time she's 18. And this basically invents the young adult genre for novels. It's crazy. I mean, if your son or daughter reads young adult, you can thank S.E. Hinton. There's an entire section of the library, a large section of the library that is young adult, and that all started here. That's right. That book went on to sell over 14 million copies and continues to sell 500,000 copies a year. That's crazy. This is a book Uh, published in 1967. A 15-year-old author is one of the most successful authors of all 
time. Yes. Yes. And still lives in Tulsa and just kind of hangs out with her husband and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when did this book come out? The Outsiders was published in 1967. Okay. Rumblefish was published in 1975. Okay. So interestingly, there are other things going on at this time. We've talked about them before. One of them happened in 1970. Two, and then the other one happened in 1974, and we talked about it almost exactly a year ago right now. That's right. It was Francis Ford Coppola's The Godfather and The Godfather Part Two. So right around the time that S.E. Hinton has become famous for The Outsiders and has written this other novel, Rumblefish, Francis Ford Coppola is becoming famous for, I mean, two of arguably the best movies of all time. Maybe the greatest movies of all time. Now, here's what blew my mind, right? You've got The Godfather. You have the conversation, and that you remember from our Godfather episode, and if you haven't heard it, please go back and check that out. 50th anniversary last year. As a deal to do The Godfather, he said, I want to be able to do The Conversation, right? right? He had this pet script that he wanted to do, and they were like, okay, you can do that. And so that's what came in between The Godfather and The Godfather Part Two was The Conversation. Sure. His, his coup de grace in his own mind, right? Right. And then he does... Apocalypse Now. I know. Which is another one of the greatest movies of all time. So, we've got The Godfather. We've got The Conversation. We've got The Godfather Part 2. We've got Apocalypse Now. And then he says, you know what? I'll do a musical. (laughs) And he does this movie called One from the Heart that has Terry Garr in it, of all people. Right. And so here he is. He's like zooming. He's like, I can do anything. And so... You know, what are you going to do next, Mr. Coppola? I think I'll do a low-budget teen movie. What? How does this happen? How does he go from these three monumental successes, this let me show you what I can do, this pet project, to this movie? Okay, it's mind-blowing, right? Right. What in the world is going on in Francis Ford Coppola's brain to go from those movies that you mentioned to basically an after-school special? Right. Now... Here's what happens. There's a librarian at Lone Star Elementary School in Fresno, California. Okay. Okay. And she notices that all of her 6th, 7th, and 8th graders coming through her library are really interested in The Outsiders. And she begins to talk to them. And they come to her and they're like, is this a movie? Like, can we watch this movie? Yeah. And she realizes there's this market for these kids that, like, want to see this movie. Right. She gets 15 pages worth of signatures. Yeah. They all decide... Francis Ford Coppola is the guy we want to make this movie. I mean, why not? I mean, you know. Hey, who is a director you've heard of at this point? <laughs> well, there's the guy that did The Godfather and Apocalypse Now. How about that guy? All right, let's give it to yeah, him. Yeah, sure. Let's do it. I mean, why not? I mean, the greatest director of the time. Let's see if he'll do this movie for us. Yeah. So she sends this letter requesting him to do this movie. But here's the interesting part. She doesn't send it to this movie studio which like 99% of the people would. Yeah. She finds this obscure address in New York where he has an active mail account, but not really anybody else there but him. So for whatever reason, she chooses that address to send this letter to. Nice. And it bypasses all the stupid people at... <laughs> at the studio. At the studio, which would have... All the gatekeepers. All the gatekeepers. Yeah. And it ends up in his hand, and he reads this letter, yeah. and he's moved by this. It's fantastic. So he reads the novel. Yeah. And he's like, I think I would like to do this. Yeah. So hearing this story, I reached out to Francis Ford Coppola. I know, right? <laughs> and uh, actually, we talked to his publicist and his agent, and they said, hey, 
So sorry. He is in the middle of filming a new movie, which I mean, he hasn't he's done virtually nothing in the last 20 years when you sent me that text i was like what yeah they they said hey super sorry he is in the middle of shooting this movie called megalopolis yes and he will be busy with post-production even when they're done with filming so he won't be able to do it but at least hey they said thanks for asking okay so he gets this letter in the mail and i mean she sends him the she sends him the pages that are signed. He's yeah. he's talking about. It. He's like they're all in different ink. I mean, this is a legit deal. He reads the book. He says, "I love it. I would love to do this." Right. <laughs> and so, where does he decide to go? Right. Was he going to go to Kansas City where they wanted to shoot The Godfather? No way. No. Is he going to go to L.A. where they've got sets? No. Is he going to go out to the jungle where they shot Apocalypse Now? No. He is going to go to Tulsa, Oklahoma. I love this about Francis Ford Coppola. Yeah. There is no way he was going to shoot The Godfather in Kansas City. You talked about it. Right. We talked about it during our Godfather episode. Right. He really is an artist, and he wants the greatest amount of accuracy and detail that he can. Yeah. So I'm going to Tulsa. Yep. Love it. And so that's that's the origin story for The Outsiders. Yes. Very nicely, we will flow right into the origin story for Rumblefish. So one of our key characters in The Outsiders is Dally, played by a young Matt Dillon. Right. As he's in the midst of shooting The Outsiders, Matt Dillon is like, hey, you like Essie Hinton, and she's there too. Right. You should really check out Rumblefish. He reads Rumblefish and falls head over heels in love. <laughs> and guys, I, I know that probably 95% of our audience is familiar with The Outsiders, and I know probably 5% of our audience is familiar with Rumblefish. Right. It is just, it is not a successful, came out the same year, exact same year, both had Matt Dillon in it, both Francis Ford Coppola, both S.E. Hinton, but Rumblefish, although it does have a bit of a cult following, is nothing like the following of The Outsiders. But in Francis Ford Coppola's mind, there are two top movies of all of the movies that he's made. And those two movies are The Conversation, which I talked about, right, and Rumblefish. I know. I listened to his commentary. I know you did as well. You can hear the adoration that he has for that story. Yeah. And that movie. Yes. His, the, when he read the book... It touched in him a personal chord. He identified with what was going on in that story from experiences that he had growing up in various places because they moved around a bunch. Sure. And one of the places that they landed was a place called Woodside. And he had an older brother, Augustus, whose nickname was Augie. Yep. And... Augie was a member of what he kindly referred to as a social club. <laughs> what we might call a gang. Yeah. And the name of that gang is the Wild Deuces. The Wild Deuces. So, if you are one of those 5% who is familiar with Rumblefish, you will know that name because that's the jacket that young Nick Coppola, yes, better known as Nicolas Cage, yes, is wearing in the movie. It is his own Father's jacket because Nick Cage, Nick Coppola, is Francis Ford Coppola's nephew. Augie's son is wearing Augie's jacket in this movie. Wait a minute now. Are you telling me that movie star Nicolas Cage is actually born Nick Coppola and is Francis Ford Coppola's nephew? Yes. 
It's incredible. It is awesome, dude. It is it is super awesome. So Francis dedicates this movie. At the end of the movie, you'll see he dedicates this movie to Augie Coppola. And this movie is about a younger brother and an older brother and their relationship. And he refers, he says, this movie is dedicated to Augie Coppola, my first and best teacher. There's something about the relationship between a younger brother and an older brother that is almost undefinable, and he tries to capture it in this movie, and it's really, truly incredible. It is an emotion that can't be described, and he does something special to give us that feeling and that emotion and that empathy. It's great to see him take something and go completely. I mean, we talk about how... He goes from Godfather to Apocalypse Now to The Outsiders, and that's such a strange twist of events. But he's, in his own words, Rumblefish is the opposite of The Outsiders. I think he says, like, the flip side of the coin, right? Yeah, I mean, opposite. Flat out opposite. Whereas as you've got colors and beauty, this is black and white and harsh reality. You've got a PG rating, you got an R rating. He says they're the opposite. Use different editors, use different soundtracks, totally different movies. But interestingly, early 80s, this is Coppola's teen movies. These are both teen movies. So now what's interesting is a year before these movies came out, 1982, Disney released a movie that was also an S.E. Hinton novel. Yes. And that movie was called Tex. Right. You know where it was filmed? Tulsa, Oklahoma. Tulsa, Oklahoma again. And I mentioned in our previous episode when I was talking about, hey, we're coming up on this, that my sister-in-law, my brother's wife, she lived in Tulsa at that time, right? I talked to her on the phone today. I'm like, hey, tell me the story about what happened. You know, let's, let's go. Right. And she said, so they just, they showed up to their high school, right? And they said, anybody interested in this, you know, talking about this movie, come on over. And she goes, I think we might have even been in a classroom. Like, just sitting in there. And the director came in. So the director is there, and they're talking to the kids. I mean, they're talking to the high school kids, right? Hey, we're doing this kind of high school movie. It's a Disney movie, but we're kind of making this a little more edgy than some of the Disney movies have been in the past. Sure. And so, you know, hey, what what stuff do you guys know? What skills do you have? And they kind of start talking, and then eventually it's like, hey, does anybody know how to ride a motorcycle? If you're familiar with the movie Tex... You see Matt Dillon sitting on a motorcycle, right? That's right. the poster. And my sister-in-law is like, yeah, I know how to ride a motorcycle, right? Yep. Well, my sister-in-law's maiden name is Winters. And if there, if, I, if we have any fans out there who are motorcycle enthusiasts, her dad is Leroy Winters, who is one of the most famous motorcycle guys of the 60s. I, okay? bet, I bet Pat Canigallo knows who that guy is. Okay. All right. Hit me up, Pat, if you know who Leroy Winters is, all yep. right? Bought my first motorcycle for Mr. Leroy Winters in Fort Smith, Arkansas, which is where she grew up, but she was living in Tulsa at this time, going to high school. Okay. Anyway, they're like, do you know how to ride a motorcycle? She's like, yeah, I can do it. And they're like, yeah, okay. Come out to this, come out to the river and let's see what you can do. Her brother was supposed to meet her out there, right? And bring a motorcycle that they had. Well, something happened and he fell through and so she's out there and she's like i'm sorry guys i don't have a motorcycle to ride and they're like well that's okay we've got one and they give her like this 500 
cc motorcycle that's kind of big for her as a high school girl right and they're like show us what you can do see if you can do that jump over there you know like giving her a challenge like yeah. really like was this girl gonna do anything sure, sure she's like okay and she can't even like her feet won't both touch the ground on this motorcycle right so she's thinking about that she's like i gotta get going fast so she is hauling ass yeah. to make this jump does the jump and is going so fast that like she lands and has to skid to a halt <laughs> and it's right in front of them and it's like Ur! and then she has to jump off of the motorcycle or she's going to fall over because she can't touch her legs so she literally jumps this giant thing skids right in front of them jumps off and is there holding the bike and they're like wow who are you again <laughs> and she's like my name's robin winters and then she's and they're like are you related to leroy winters and she says yeah he's my dad and he's like oh and she becomes the girl that they go to to do all motorcycle things. She's in the movie text. She's on the back of the motorcycle with Emilio Estevez. I mean, she becomes friends with Emilio. She becomes friends with Meg Tilly. They go hang out and barbecue at people's houses. She said, "I think I'm. I think I met Charlie Sheen. I think he might have like almost drowned in the river uh, as we were out partying one night. You know. And wow. They barbecue together. Said she met Martin. She went out to L.A. after it was all over and just had this fantastic fantastic time i learned about it just this last these last couple of months that's right? fantastic and so i mentioned that that she taught mickey rourke how to ride a motorcycle well that's not exactly right she helped him she did yeah so when they got to rumblefish time hoodoo howard gave her a call said hey can you come help us out with this picture we got some motorcycle stuff and so she came and she's talking to him and they're like and she's like well who is this i'm supposed to help learn and she's like mickey rourke was standing in a shadow like smoking a cigarette and he just kind of appears <laughs> and she's like wow i feel like i know that guy and it's and so she had just seen him in you know body heat or something like that you know okay so she's like uh but she said he kind of already knew but needed just a little kind of update you know like yeah you know when you hear it get to that speed you need to switch gears she said matt Dillon, though he was a new york city kid who didn't know anything about motorcycles and she had to teach him everything so you got tex on the motorcycle my sister-in-law is the guy who taught that guy how to ride a motorcycle wow Wow. It's crazy, right? That's a great story. Yeah. I've got a text story, too. It's not okay. as good as yours, but I'm going to throw this out there. Yeah, okay. Ahead. So text comes out in 1982. Yep. Obviously, I'm from Tulsa. This was all shot in South Tulsa around where I live. Right. This is the first time it hits me that movies are not real. So Tex and his brother are driving around in a pickup truck having a conversation. Right. The conversation's continuity flows. Right. But they're by this thing, and then they're four miles away in front of this thing, and uh -huh. then they're five miles away in front of this thing, and then they're going west, and then they're going east. And I'm like, I'm a nine-year-old kid going, this, what? Wait a minute. This is not right. <laughs> and then you saw Robocop. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But the most unbelievable thing about Tex is that Emilio Estevez's character wears both a Oklahoma Sooners shirt and an Oklahoma State Cowboy shirt. That's, oh. that's the thing that I had the most problem yeah. with yeah. as a nine-year-old kid. That's funny. <laughs> so Emilio Estevez, of course, goes on and does the next S.E. Hinton movie, which is The Outsiders, as does Matt Dillon. Right. Mickey Rourke tries out for it, doesn't get it. Right. But... Francis Ford Coppola likes him so much that he's like, hey, you need to come on back. And I'm kind of, I'm falling into casting here. So before I do that, let me just tell one more story. Okay, right? sure. So this is, 
This is post both movies, right? Okay. End of both movies. He's doing the editing. He's editing the scene in Rumblefish where Mickey Rourke decides to go in and free all of the animals from the pet store. Okay. <laughs> it's very Pee Wee Herman of him. Well, yes, <laughs> right. It's it's an interesting an an interesting conundrum, right? Yes. And so anyway, he is he's filmed this. He's in the midst of editing this. This is a part of the book. This is part of the book Rumblefish. Right. And so he goes to Essie Hinton and he's like. Hey, you know that scene uh, in the book where they decide to let all of the animals go? Uh huh. She's like, Yeah. He goes, How'd you come up with that idea? And she's like, Uh, no, I saw that in a movie actually. He's like, Really? What's the movie? And she's like, Oh, I can't remember the name of it. Uh, had James Caan in it? He's like, Oh, James Caan. Was it The Rain People? She's like, yeah, that's it, The Rain People. He's like, huh, that's a movie that I wrote and directed <laughs> right before I did The Godfather. <laughs> that's Francis Ford Coppola. So Francis Ford Coppola, without even realizing it until after everything's done, is directing a scene in a movie that the writer of the book took from a scene of another one of his movies. That is Unbelievable. That is nuts. That's a fantastic story. Thank you. Okay, are we ready to get into casting? Let's talk about casting. Okay, because I am bursting at the seams <laughs> with fun stuff to talk about with cast. The, I mean, you we could stop at Outsiders alone because, holy cow, this is like the big bang of the Brat Pack of 80 stars, right? Yeah, I mean, it really is. Gigantic. All of these guys who are one of the very first movies that they're ever in. Well, first of all, after doing the Godfather movies and Apocalypse Now and the Black Stallion, you throw this out there, it's an open cast call, and you bring in all this young talent, and so, of course, you're going to have hugely talented people that want to be involved in this movie, okay? It's an interesting way that they did it. So, they would bring in all these actors, and they were all sitting in the same room. Yeah. And before we get specifically who they were, Francis Ford Coppola would go, okay, D. Graves, you're a pony boy, and Jason Colvin, you are Soda Pop, and ready, go. Yeah. And it would just kind of toss them in the ring together. Yeah. And so, like Tom Cruise read for five or six or seven different parts. Right. And I heard Rob Lowe talking about this. He said, nobody really ever honed in that that was their role because you played so many different roles. You really didn't know where you stood or where you're going to land. Right. Ralph Macchio talks about this scenario, and he was like, it was... It, it was mind-bending. It was so stressful because you were sitting there watching other guys read the part that you just read, and you're thinking, oh my gosh, this is a different choice that he's made, and what did I make the wrong choice? And, and he's a new, I mean, a very new actor and a New York kid, so he's trying to do this Tulsa, Oklahoma accent. Who are you talking about? Oh, Ralph, Ralph Macchio. Macchio, yes. yes. And he's just panic, panic-stricken the entire audition. Okay, so let's get into it. But before we get into the big players, I want to give yeah. you just a little bit of the little players, okay? Okay, yeah. So one of the guys that's in Outsiders and Rumblefish and is a guy that we've talked about before, his name is Tom Waits. Oh, yeah, yeah, Tom Waits, who's... More famous as a singer, but has definitely had a, a slew of movies that he has played a small part in. Yeah. So he plays Buck Merrill in The Outsiders, and he plays another small part in Rumblefish. But do you remember when we talked about him before? We talked about how in The Dark Knight that Heath Ledger, we, we have a strong suspicion that Heath Ledger was channeling his inner Tom Waits that when he did exactly that voice. That is exactly right. Yeah. 
the voice of the Joker, yeah, took his voice from Tom Waits. Yeah, I have a growing level of popularity uh, throughout the uh, intercontinental United States. So. Yeah. Okay. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. One more smaller part I want to bring up to you. Yeah. And this blew my mind when I learned this. It's Michelle Myrink. She's Cherry Valance's friend who sits next to her at the drive-in. Oh, yeah. I, I saw her and I was like... I know that face. How do I know that face? I know that face. And so I had to hit pause. I had to look her up on IMDb. And I was like, ah, of course. Yes. So she was in Valley Girls. She was in Revenge of the Nerds. But really, for me, she's Jordan in Real Real Genius. Genius. Yes. That was it for me, too, I almost fell out of my chair. Yeah. So, okay. So let's talk about Pony Boy Curtis for a second. Before you get there, okay. Just you're talking small parts before we get to the big parts. I want to just throw out a couple that okay. may surprise you, all right? Yeah, yeah. So in like extras, mind you. Yes. We have Melanie Griffith. <laughs> and also we have Heather Langenkamp. Yes. And you know what movie she's from? She's freaking Nancy from Nightmare on Elm Street. Yes. She's actually born and raised in Tulsa. Yeah. So yeah. Tulsa actress, Heather Langenkamp. Nancy. And then another smaller part, speaking part and important part in both of these movies, is a guy named Glenn Withrow. Glenn Withrow is the guy who comes up while Pony Boy is sitting talking to Cherry at the drive-in theater and is like, did Dally slash my tires? I know he slashed my tires. Yeah. He also plays Biff in not Back to the Future, although I'm pretty confident that's where they got his name. Probably. I Yes. But he plays Biff in Rumblefish, the guy who gets in the uh, initial rumble with Rusty James, Matt Dillon. And you were, t- I mean, so he has his hair peroxide, and yeah. he's the guy who slashes him with a knife. Yeah, blonde guy. Yeah, blonde he's guy. blonde in Rumblefish. He's totally he's different. A greaser in The Outsiders. And then just real quick on that one before we get too far off of him. Yeah. So. There's a really dramatic scene where Motorcycle Boy takes Biff out, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, it's one of the most unforgettable scenes of the movie. And it was actually the idea of the stunt coordinator. 
who said, what if we do this? And so the way that Biff, after he has made this cowardly move of slashing Rusty James while he's looking away, yeah. Motorcycle Boy uses his motorcycle to take Biff out and it's a fantastic i mean you just think about no cgi and nothing else it hits him and he does a full back flip right. up in the air and over onto his face yeah. basically right sure it's incredible and that was the stunt coordinator who's like you know i think we could pull this off buddy joe hooker by the way stunt coordinator ton of movies but I just thought... That was a really cool scene. It was an amazing scene. And it, they pulled it off flawlessly. And once again, all in black and white. Yeah. And it pops. It pops hard. We'll yeah. talk more about that here in a second. All right, casting. Yeah. So Pony Boy Curtis is the narrator of the story. That's the character that C. Thomas Howell plays in the movie. Yep. Now you had people like Timothy Hutton read for this, Anthony Michael Hall. Like, think Rusty in Vacation. Very young Anthony Michael Hall. Yeah, same year. Yep. Same year. And that was his. That was his really his first big movie was Vacation. Mm-hmm. Val Kilmer read for Pony Boy. Yeah, he was doing a stage play at that time. They actually offered it to him, and he turned it down. He couldn't do it because if he backed out, the whole thing would have folded. Ah. and he felt responsible. Didn't want to do that. Right. So I heard Rob Lowe talking about when he knew that C. Thomas Howell had the part. Yeah. Right. And so C. Thomas Howell, for those of you who may not know, he was in The Hitcher. He was in E.T. He was in a great 80s movie that a lot of people have overlooked called Secret Admirer. It's one of my favorites. I don't know why it's not a teen classic. I Soul, love it. Soul Man, right? Soul Man. And Side Out. Married Radon Chong, who was in Soul Man. With him. That's exactly right. Rob Lowe was talking about when he knew C. Thomas Howell had the part. Yeah. Francis Ford Coppola, who he was in his style, he would be like, all right, Rob Lowe, you read for Pony Boy. You know, Val Kilmer, you read for Soda Pop. You know, Patrick Swayze, you read for Johnny Cade. Whatever. And they would just throw it all around. Right. Rob Lowe said, of course, they're all on the edge of this warehouse watching. Francis Ford Coppola would say, all right, Tommy, you stay. Uh, Tom Cruise, you read for Soda Pop. You know, Rob Lowe, you read for Johnny Cade. And Dennis Quaid, you read for Dally. All right, you three out. Tommy, you stay. And as soon as he started doing that, Rob Lowe's like, he's got it. He's Pony Boy. You know that Coppola asked for Patrick Swayze specifically. Like a lot of those guys came in to audition. And he asked for Swayze specifically. Do you know what movie he saw him in? What's the stupid roller skating movie? It's called Skate Town USA. (laughs) (laughs) It is a monumental debut by Mr. Patrick Swayze that earns a whopping 4.8 on the IMDb scale (laughs) out of 10. It got him the part in The Outsiders. What do you... What? Roller Skates gave us Daryl in The Outsiders and eventually Bodie in Point Break. So, yeah. It's, and, and Dirty Dancing. I and mean, Dirty let's, Dancing. Let's That's right. That, right. That's right. All right. So let's talk about the part of Dallas Winston. He's the big baddie, right? He's the hood. He's right? the hood. Yeah. Get lost, hood! Yeah. Right? Matt Dillon had just shot Tex. Right. Essie Hinton is the one who said, I think he'd be a good Dallas. Yeah. And it's interesting, in the novel, looks nothing like Matt Dillon. He's blonde, uh, looks totally different. Yeah. And Essie Hinton came to, to Francis Ford Coppola and said, you know... I think maybe Matt Dillon is our guy. And so early on in the auditions, they're reading for all these different parts. Uh-huh. Francis Ford Coppola goes to Matt Dillon and says, okay, you can go home, Matt. And Matt was like, crap, they're sending me home already? <laughs> I blew it, right? I, I didn't right. get it. I'm not I'm not anything. They, right. They're kicking me out of here. Right. 
And what he didn't know that he he had already been decided he was going to be cast. Nice. Interestingly, Francis Ford Coppola during the filming went to Matt Dillon and said, "Hey, you know, for your character, like for your study of your character, why don't you spend a couple of nights in jail?" And Matt Dillon's like, "No way, Francis! You spend a couple of nights in jail." <laughs> right. <laughs> so some guys who read for Dally, of course, Tom Cruise, Adam Baldwin, who was kind of the star of My Bodyguard, and then. Nick Cage. Nicholas Cage locked himself in a room for two weeks, stared at a picture of Charles Bronson, trying to channel his inner Dallas, <laughs> even though his uncle is the director. Uh-huh. Didn't get it. But of course, he shows up later in Rumblefish. Right. I thought this was funny. So Francis Ford Coppola got mad at Matt Dillon during the shooting of The Outsiders. Yeah. And called him a, get ready for it, brace yourself, an airhead. Okay. <laughs> And and Essie oh made gosh. him go apologize. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's that's funny. That uh, is funny. Stuff. By the way, Matt Dillon was like seventeen, eighteen when he filmed this. Yeah, see, Tom's house fifteen. As, yeah, I, as I was looking at, as I was watching, I mean, it's, there's something about black and white. As I'm watching Run, Rumblefish, and he's in that tank top, white shirt, I'm just like, Matt Dillon has the most perfect skin I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> I mean, it's just flawless. It's smooth. And I'm like, oh, it's because he's 17 years old. Well, but he doesn't have any zits or anything. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just, he's like porcelain. It's gorgeous. Let's go to Daryl Curtis. That's the part, the part that Patrick Swayze plays. Yeah. Well, it turns out Patrick Swayze is 29 when he makes this. Yep. They wanted somebody to play the older brother. Yeah. But they didn't want somebody to be too old. But somehow or another, he channels his inner 21-year-old and plays just the right amount of older brother. Yeah. So Mickey Rourke was actually one person that they had in mind to play for Daryl. Right. Right. Uh, Dennis Quaid is another. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I heard that. Yeah. Yeah. So ultimately... Francis Ford Coppola, like you said, liked him from that movie, Roller Skate America. Skate Town USA. Skate Town USA. Okay, Johnny Cade. This is the part that Ralph Macchio plays. Yeah. Ralph Macchio was 20 years old. Let me just say this. Let me just say this, all right? So you talked to Caleb before this, and he was he was wowing you with his Star Wars knowledge, right? Yes, right. He, he is more obsessed with Cobra Kai than he is with Star Wars. Like, I mean, every day it's like, okay, Dad. Um, <laughs> so Mr. Miyagi in his prime versus Johnny in his prime, who wins? I'm like, dude, I don't know. He's like, okay, 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 okay. Um, how about this? How about Hawk in his prime versus Johnny in his prime? I'm like, dude, I don't. What? I don't know this. These aren't real people. Yeah, right. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, what? This is a movie, right? right. So anyway, he's he, he and he gets mad when people don't like Cobra Kai or Karate Kid stuff, right? Sure. So he comes in like when I'm a quarter of the way through The Outsiders, and I had mentioned to him, I'm like, "Hey, I'm going to go to watch this movie. By the way, it's got Ralph Macchio in it." And he's like, "Who?" I'm like, "Danielson." He's like, "Oh." Okay, I might come watch that with you. So he comes in after I've been watching so many, you know, 25 minutes of the movie. Right, right. right. We've hit the plot point. The guy's been stabbed. And then he comes in after they've made their escape. And so he's like, oh, yeah, there's Daniel. And and he goes, what's his name in this movie? And I was like, it's Johnny. And he was like, (laughs) 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 really? I was like, yes, really. He's like, you know why that's funny, right? I was like, oh, yeah, Karate Kid, I get it. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. So there you go. There you go. That's funny. <laughs> so, for the part of Johnny Cade, can you imagine Scott Bayo from Happy Days? No. Chachi. No. He can be Charles in charge all day, but not <laughs> Johnny. Sorry, no. 
Yeah, so Ralph Macchio talks about how when he read the book as a seventh grader, he really latched onto this character. And even though he read for different parts, he's like, man, I, I really I really just want to play Johnny. I hope I get Johnny. He, he yeah. said anytime he had to read for Soda Pop or something else, he was just kind of bummed that he wasn't reading for Johnny and ultimately got his favorite character in the book. That's great. Now, one of the things I thought was funny is that Tommy Howell and him, you know, Pony Boy and Johnny Cade are like best buddies. Well, in real life, they were kind of irritants to each other. Okay. Because Ralph Macchio is a serious actor, wants to make sure he's prepared and in his character, and Tommy Howell was worried about getting a high score on Pac-Man. <laughs> so... Yeah, as I understood it, a lot of the guys were practical joking throughout the entire shoot, but Ralph Macchio was not one of those guys. He was very focused on giving it his absolute best and didn't want to be any part of the shenanigans. One of the things that he did contribute a lot to that a lot of people don't know this story. Mm-hmm. So there's a real famous shot of the guys that on that movie poster. Right. And they're cracking up, and it's a great shot. Everybody's all smiles. Yeah. So one of the guys on set was reaching for some food on a table, and somebody corrected him and said, hey, man, that's for the talent. That's not for you, right? <laughs> right. And while they're taking this picture, they're all standing there. Ralph Macchio goes, yeah, Leif, that's for the talent. <laughs> <laughs> so it was the guy who played Bob? that was The guy who played me? Bob, Leif Garrett. Was thrown under the bus <laughs> by Johnny Cade. Ah, uh, that's fantastic. <laughs> it wasn't enough to kill Bob. He also had to throw the actor under the bus. That's hilarious. All right. Soda Pop Curtis, played by Rob Lowe. 17 years old, turned 18 during filming. Tom Cruise read for this part. But one of the descriptions of Soda Pop Curtis is that he was insanely cute boy. Uh-huh. And Rob Lowe is just the prettiest man on the face of the earth. Sure. That was a lock, right? Prettiest man i ever seen. <laughs> Tom Cruise, though. Like, I mean, this is pre-all Tom Cruise, right? This is basically Tom Cruise's very first movie. Well, he'd been in Taps. Right. But he keeps his back to the camera the entire time. He's barely in it. He can't even see his face. He's barely in it. Even when he's in it, it's as though he is avoiding, like, he's like, I don't want to be a part of this movie, and he's turned away. Or unless he's eating cake and wants to show you all the cake in his teeth. <laughs> then he'll give you a full frontal smile. But he it was weird to see him not be the spotlight in this movie. Yeah. I did see one scene that was deleted where he was grabbing at a Soch who's trying to drive off and he was reaching through the car and trying to pull this guy out of the window. And I thought, That's a young Jack Reacher right there. You know? Oh yeah. He well, was tough and he, he was, was still yeah, he was still ripped at this point. He yeah, was for sure. All right. By the way, Rob Lowe asked Essie Hinton, you know, what, what happens to Soda Bob Curtis down the line? Mm-hmm. She said, in my mind, he dies in Vietnam. Okay. Two-Bit Matthews. Yeah. Played by Emilio Estevez. Yeah. He was about 20 years old when he shot this. They knew Emilio because he's Martin Sheen's kid from Apocalypse Now. Yeah. But he also is in Tex. He was in Tex. Yeah. That's right. Emilio Estevez is one of the only guys to star in three S.E. Hinton movies. He was in Tex, he was in The Outsiders, and he was in That Was Then, This Is Now. So youth, youth, when we started, before we started rolling today, before we turned the microphone on, you, I was like, you know there kind of is an Outsiders Part 2. That Was Then, This Is Now is a continuation of the story. What? Yes. So, yeah, like characters from The Outsiders are also characters in That Was Then, This Is Now. Ponyboy is in there he is it is a minor part but he's in there the outsiders takes place in the 60s yeah and you remember that what's the name of the character who takes uh johnny aside and talks to him in the car the soch that was there randy randy yes yeah 
So Randy moves from being a soch to being a hippie. Oh. And that was then and this is now. Okay. And so it's an entirely it's an entirely different group of folks, but there are some carryovers. Pony Boy is there. He's Randy is there as hippie and it is part two of the outsiders. Wow. The script was actually developed by Emilio Estevez. Really? Yes. Interesting. Yep. Yeah. Okay, that's great, man. That's great. Okay. Uh, also, according to Emilio Estevez, when the rumble happened, uh-huh. I mean, Francis Ford Coppola is like, man, get in there, mix it up with these people, right? Tommy Howell got punched in the jaw. Tom Cruise lost a tooth. Well, that's funny because I listened to Coppola talk about this, and he said he was so worried about this because you've got so many people all fighting at the same time that you don't know somebody might actually get hit. He goes, somebody could accidentally get hit. Somebody could lose a tooth. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't realize that it actually happened. And so what does he do? He exacerbates the problem by pouring water on top of everybody. Yeah. Because in the middle of the rumble, I mean, two seconds in, it starts to rain, which creates a great effect. I mean, it's really cool to see people. I mean, Lethal Weapon says it all. It's great to see guys fighting in the rain, right? Yep. But... With people slipping and sliding, the chances that somebody's going to get coal cocked or lose a tooth are escalated for sure. Apparently, Tom Cruise had to go get dental work, and there's a dentist in Tulsa that still has the picture on his wall. (laughs) Tom Cruise and me, Dr. Johnson, whatever, getting his tooth fixed. Yeah, his teeth were pretty bad back then. so They were. it, It probably was an improvement. Yep. All right, let's talk real quick about Steve Randall, who is Tom Cruise's character. Okay. We said he's barely in it, right? He doesn't do a whole lot. He's Soda Pop's best friend. They work at the gas station together, but a lot of his parts were kind of cut down. The gas station, real quick, touch on that. Yeah. The gas station. The DX DX station. station. When I saw that, I was like, dude, I remember that place, and I took a picture of it because that was a station that I remember seeing when I was a kid, right? Yeah. You've been there. I went there yesterday, so (laughs) apparently. So for whatever reason, they shot it at this DX station that's like 20 minutes north of Tulsa. Sperry. Sperry. Sperry, Oklahoma. Sperry, Oklahoma. And I drove up there. Listen to this. So I'm I'm there. My my internet connection's not great, as you might imagine. <laughs> right. I drive to the DX station. It's prominent, man. It's right there as you come into town. I'm like, holy crap, that's the DX station. Right. I pull over. You can actually go inside there. They got a picture of Rob Lowe and a picture of Tom Cruise. And yep. it says, Employees of the Month, May 1966. That's fantastic. And it's not an operational gas station. No, no. But it is, it's the people of Sperry said, hey, this is a historic site. We need to renovate this place. With the help of one Danny Boy O'Connor. Yeah. Tune in next week, folks. Yes. By the way, so I'm standing there and I look across the street Mm -hmm. and there's a Rexall store. Right. And I'm like, what is this from? Yeah. Like, why do I recognize this? Right. So I call you. You don't answer. I was working. I call Def Dave. He doesn't answer. He was working. I call Jeff Johnson. He doesn't answer. Yeah. I get a hold of James Buckley. He's in Home Depot, like <laughs> picking up some nails or whatever. And I say, hey, man, I'm out in the middle of nowhere. I, my internet's not great. Can you help me Google this place? And he stands there and does it. He finds it. He sends me a picture. And there's a picture. If you go to our YouTube page, hopefully I'll have this video up. Yeah. But there's a great shot of Dally, Pony Boy, Johnny Cade, right in front of this Rexel store. Sitting on the back of a car. Yep. Smoking a cigarette. Yes. Fantastic. Yep. All right. Two more people that we got to talk about. Okay. Diane Lane as Cherry Valance. Mmm, manners. So she was 16 years old when she did this. Shut up. Now i got to reconsider everything. 
Well, she's beautiful. I mean, let's yeah. be real. She's yeah. beautiful, yeah. right? I love, I, again, I'm going to bring Caleb up because he stayed up here for a while, like talking to us about the outsiders. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, she wasn't pretty. I'm like, shut up. What? He was like, eh, nah. And I'm like, dude, you need to look again. He's like, okay. And he's and I'm like, search Diane Lane. He's like, wait a minute. This is Superman's mom. Superman's mom. <laughs> She's old. <laughs> Uh well, what so, do you do? I know, and we we tried. I mean, she, golly, in her prime, she was made. I told him he's like she dated John Bon Jovi. Yeah, he goes, well, that is good. Yeah. <laughs> Other people considered for the part of Cherry Valance: Sarah Jessica Parker, mm-hmm. Helen Slater, Heather Langenkamp, Brooke Shields. Wow, can okay. you see Brooke Shields? Sure. In 1982. Sure. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So a little bit more on Diane Lane for you. Okay. Okay. So this is what I really found interesting. So again, Francis Ford Coppola is putting these guys up to to their this behavior during the shooting of the movie, mm-hmm. and so he really wants Matt Dillon under her skin. She'll probably fall in love with him later. <laughs> so during the drive-in scene, he's like, "Bug her, right? Get after her." Uh-huh. And so he really did bug her. And it, it really irritated her, and so she was tense around Matt Dillon. Right. And there was this feeling of tension between the two of them, which is interesting because they go on to star in Rumblefish together. So would we describe that as sexual tension? I would definitely say it's sexual tension. Okay. Okay? By the way, yeah. when I was in Tulsa yesterday, yeah. the one place that I wanted to go for Rumblefish was Patty's house. When I got there... I got it's this private drive and it was locked. It's a cul-de-sac. Uh-huh. It's not even really a neighborhood. Yeah. And they had a gate and I could not get in. Uh. I told you I tried to leave my body and like hover. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to hover over Tulsa to look at it, but I could not get there. If you don't get that reference, please go watch Rumblefish. Please go watch it, okay? <laughs> really, please go watch Rumblefish. So here's what's interesting. Um, in that, that particular scene where they're in front of... Patty's house, right? Yes. And he's getting cigarettes out of the back of her car and helping-ish with groceries and actually stealing some of her cigarettes at that moment, right? Right. They they shot it a few times, and when they got it to print, there were sprockets, like the sprockets of the film were yes. showing up in the cut that they had. And so... Uh, Francis Ford Coppola is like, oh, well, that sucks. I mean, that messes this scene up. But it was only in one take, right? It, they only showed up in one take. But he's looking at him, he's like, but that's the best take. That's the best take. That's the best take. And so finally he was like, I don't care. I don't care that the sprockets are going to show up and it's going to be a distraction. The audience will just think it's, you Artsy know. Artsy stuff. No, well, they'll think it's like something wrong with the projector, right? Yeah, there you go. And so what they didn't realize is that the same wrong thing with the projector happened in every theater in the country that wow. was that was showing the show. But he was like, it was it was so well done. They did it so perfectly on that take. I could not sacrifice it just because it had this issue in it. And if you watch the DVD, it's not there anymore. And he was confused by that. Yeah, he was like, well, let's see if it's there. Nope. nope, not there. <laughs> Gets to clean it up. Yep. By the way, Diane Lane and Matt Dillon have starred in three movies together. 
Okay, so there's these two. Outsiders, Rumblefish, <laughs> and a movie called The Big Town in 1987. I feel like that was a steamy one. I consider myself an 80s movie like connoisseur. Mm-hmm. I don't know anything about this one. Yeah, I think that was a steamy one. Okay, interesting. Yeah. By the way, Tom Cruise went directly to Diane Lane during the filming of The Outsiders and said, Hey, I'm doing a movie called Risky Business, and I think you'd be great to play the part of the prostitute. And Diane Lane's dad said, no friggin' way. She's 16. <laughs> yeah. She's 16. Right. Right, yeah. No, sorry. I'm, yes. Okay, keep on going. <laughs> By the way, the girl who plays Patty's sister in Rumblefish. Domino? Domino. Yeah. That is Sofia Coppola. The director? The director, Sofia Coppola. The daughter of Francis Ford Coppola. And he he admits, like, she's his favorite, right? Yeah. Admits it. Uh, and real quick on this. So the two... If you see associate producers in the credits, they're both last names, both Coppola. That's one of them. There's Roman Coppola, and then there's also Giancarlo Coppola. Uh Giancarlo was his son. Unfortunately, as much as I like Rumblefish, it was an absolute financial failure. It was a bomb, yeah. And, And a financial failure that came just shortly off the heels of a musical that was also a financial failure. Yeah. And so it Zoetrope went bankrupt. Yeah. And so while Zoetrope is in this bankruptcy stage, they like lock everything up, right? They lock all the doors up. Giancarlo, who he called Gio, that was his name. Yeah. He's 20 something at this point, you know, early 20s. Yes. He breaks in. <laughs> this movie, Rumblefish, was shot on these Zeist lenses, which are just incredibly good lenses. And you get so many close ups in this, and it's so crisp and so beautiful in all this art film style that he's done. And Gio knows how much his dad loves these lenses and that they're locked up, so he breaks in. And he steals them. Now, that's part one of the story. Part two of the story is Gio, just uh, three years later, is on a boat with another young 20-something guy who is acting in a film that Francis is directing. Uh, the guy's name is uh, Griffin O'Neill, I believe. Okay. He's in The Wraith as well. Okay. Anyway, they're on a boat together, speedboat. Griffin is piloting the boat. He sees two other boats. He decides to go between the two boats. Don't go between them. Go between them? Yes. So <laughs> Sorry. that's hilarious except how this story ends. Oh, okay? no. Okay. All right. So he decides to go between the boats, not realizing that they're actually tied together. Oh, no. He realizes it and ducks out of the way in time, but Geo does not. What? And is killed. 22 years old. He dies. They're t- who ties boats together? I don't know. I don't know. And I and uh, I, I mean, I think he. I think this guy got a, a, a misdemeanor charge out of the deal out of it as well, and obviously got fired from the Francis Ford Coppola. So it's this really very short moment in the commentary after he has told this story about Geo going in to steal these lenses that he that and he's and he's just like, so I still have the lenses. I don't have my son, but I have the lenses. Oh, it's horrible. And I was, and that's all that he said. And I was just like, oh my gosh, what happened to him? And so that is the, the tragic story of one of the producers who is also one of the guys who's in the kind of orgy scene that they have at the, as the, after they break into the house in the, in the movie. Okay, by the way, just to continue my thought with Sofia Coppola. Yeah. She also appears in The Outsiders. 
Yeah. She's the little bratty girl that comes up and is like bugging Matt Dillon for a nickel. Hey, mister, you got a nickel? And he's like, go away, kid. He's like, I, I, I want it. That's Francis Ford Coppola's daughter. And he, you can tell, he shines with joy when he sees young Sophia in his movies. Yeah. He, he looks at movies as the opportunity, just like home videos, to capture a moment in time. Yep. And, he, and who better to do that with, with your, than your own family? Absolutely. Right? And we mentioned in our Godfather episode, she's the baby. That's right. She's she was the baby, baby who's getting christened. That's exactly right. <clears throat> yeah. All right. The last guy I want to talk about in depth mm-hmm. is the guy who plays Bob Sheldon. Okay? okay. Yeah. That was played by Leif Garrett. Leif. Leif. Not Leif. I saw him in a interview, and okay. he's like, for the record, yeah, it's not Leif. Long A, Leif Garrett. All right. Okay? That must be the Viking way to pronounce it. I don't know. I guess so. <laughs> he was the most famous guy out of the cast when they shot the movie. That's hysterical. I mean, right? Yeah, Leif, that's for the talent. (laughs) (laughs) He was a 70s-like heartthrob, like a little pop star. Interesting. But the thing was is that he was brought up as an actor, Mm -hmm. and (sighs) managers and stuff said, hey, man, you're so popular right now, you're a singer. And he's like, I don't really sing. And they're like, that's all right, we got all your songs written for you, and you're going to go around the world, and we're going to sell records. So they kind of made him, like forced him into singing. He didn't care about any of this stuff. Huh. And uh, anyway, 2001, he declares bankruptcy, and he's had kind of a hard life since this time. Yeah. But uh, I thought he did a great job as the ring-wearing Soch that uh, beat up Johnny Cade, and Johnny Cade ends up killing. Yeah. His famous song, by the way, yeah. I Was Made for Dancing. Okay. Should we listen to that right here? Okay, then. There you go. That's a little 70s gold for you right there. (laughs) So, that is the cast of The Outsiders. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, that is the end of episode one of The Outsiders versus Rumblefish. Please hit that follow button, hit that subscribe button so that you don't miss next episode. We will have interview clips from Danny Boy O'Connor, who runs The Outsiders Museum and is super familiar, has a new book out that just came out last fall on some of the unknown photographs that occurred on the scenes. Excited to talk to him about that and the Outsiders Museum itself. And we'll talk more about production, reception, soundtracks, all of those amazing things next episode. We'll see you guys next week. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. 
that crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.